1600 KIVA and 93.7 FM 606 in the 505 with more 411 here with former police chief Mike Geyer here for the third day in a row. Chief Geyer, how are you? I'm doing well today. Thank you, Eddie. We're making this uh, a habit uh, already, and I'm glad that we are because, you know, we're delving uh, into the nitty-gritty of what uh, is really happening. And I know there's a lot of things that were set into motion, one of the things of which you approved of, and uh, maybe couldn't uh, really voice your opinion uh, for uh, fear, or I should say just maybe it's not fear, just doing your job. You were being a a, a good uh, employee, so to speak, doing what was asked of you uh uh, by the mayor, but you uh, was certainly behind Operation Legend, and it's turned out to be a very good thing. What's the, uh, uh, I know that there was supposedly a meeting today, but what can you tell us? Uh, who was there, what happened, and uh, how have we been performing on Operation uh, Legend? Well, from what I heard, uh, U.S. Attorney Barr was here today. Um, I don't know if APD was there. I did hear from other people, uh, other law enforcement agencies were there, and um Apparently, um, this was a follow-up, I mean, right around this time last year, late November, is when he first visited Albuquerque, if you recall, to talk about reducing crime. And subsequently, he announced the first op- first phase of this was Operation Relentless Pursuit, and that was the seven cities with the highest crime. And Albuquerque was way up there. Um, obviously, we had a pretty high crime rate. So we were going to get approximately $9.7 million. Uh, they have federal agents assigned here, as well as the part of a COPS grant to get 40 officers hired and then backfill those agents later. So that that's the, the start of it. And then subsequently we had the meetings with the U.S. attorney and the COPS director, and our city legal got involved at that point. And from about January, why the uh, Operation Pursuit started around that time, it, we didn't see it because we didn't sign off on the grant right away. We prepared a the grant. It was one of those. Uh, we didn't. It wasn't competitive, so all we had to do was really fill it and turn it in and sign it. And we would have been approved. And they even, uh, maybe about a month after that, uh, changed the match from from 70, where we would have had to provide 25%. So we it went to 100%. We didn't have to provide any any extra funding for the 40 officers. So it was a pretty attractive grant. And at a time just prior to COVID, I mean, again, our goal was to hire as many officers as possible. And January was the start of 2020, which has turned out to be a very violent year. So um, let me understand this correctly. Uh, Bill Barr, the Attorney General was letting you know that they were going to help the city of Albuquerque that last November. Yes. Okay. And uh, the operation was called Operation Pursuit. You mm-hmm. were told that you would get $9.7 million. All you had to do is basically help with the additional 30% on top of the 70% that they were giving, and you had to do a simple thing of writing these grants. How hard is it to write these grants Well, it, it took, or apply? It's, it's just the application process takes time to fill out the paperwork. And, and is it how, how, like, what are we talking about, 30 pages, 100 pages? Yeah, something like that. Like okay. probably, cause she, took her, she did it on a weekend, so I, I imagine she put about eight hours, seven, eight hours. And who would have done that? It's our uh, grant, Maria, Maria Garcia Cunningham. So were those filled out? Yes. Okay. So they were filled out, they were submitted, were they denied, or we chose to not do something to get this $9.7 million? Right. It was in, in uh, hold, held, you know, status where nothing was moving for a while. The, the deliberations were um, concerns with certain clause in the USC uh, aspect of requirements for a federal grant. Um, and this went back and forth with city legal. Uh, we had concerns about... Sanctuary City is we had that ordinance and there were some concerns about reporting to ICE, which was not really in effect and not really part of it. But it was interpreted by our city attorneys that that was the case. Now, is this the part where you they you it was it's been suggested that you could get sued or lose your job or 
uh, face criminal charges, something along those lines? Well, I mean, I, we heard that from our city attorneys is that the, the mayor could go to prison, um, Sarita could go to prison, I could go to prison um, if we violated that, that federal uh, uh, provision in the grant. Is that true? Is there any truth to that? Well, I mean, what happened was is with the U.S. attorney, we developed a, a memorandum of understanding, which was where he was able to work with us to get exactly what that the grant entailed. And, and at no point did he ever say it involved um, Sanctuary City. And later on in the discussions when Legend came in, it, at no point did it involve uh, protest or, or addressing those kind of situations. It strictly was to bring detectives, not stormtroopers or secret police here, detectives to help us with investigations dealing with violent crime. This was well before that conversation about stormtroopers that Martin Heinrich uh, mentioned, uh, the Portland mayor mentioned, uh, the Portland leadership uh, uh, mentioned, going back to Operation and Pursuit, and then you said it moved to 100% where they would do everything. About What was the timeline when they said that they would do everything for us? Uh, I'd say be prior to April, um, because we, again... It's COVID, so March at the latest. Yeah, COVID okay. it was just probably just came in after that. Did it strike you as crazy since we had the record number of homicides uh, last year that we decided that we did not want to jump on board with Operation Pursuit or you remove ourselves from the sanctuary city status uh, in order to get to this money and help with the uh, aid of crime? Yeah, I mean, I'm very pragmatic. I, I see a large amount of money standing there that's being offered. Basically, no conditions, no strings attached that I could t tell. I mean, yeah. there's always that possibility, but... Um, that it just seemed useless to wait as, and then as we saw later, they already would would come here and to be able to help us, and they've already been here. With, so, uh, what, what did Mayor Keller and what did Sarita Nair say, the director for the city of Albuquerque? What did they say? Well, uh, you know, they were they were directing city legal. Most of the got the, it. You know, most there of the go. conversations came through city legal. Did you know that? Uh, well, it, yes. Okay, so so the direction was coming from city legal, and you have the people who weren't attorneys. I know Sarita Nair has a, a, a law degree. I don't know she's not the practicing attorney in this. She's operating as city director and Mayor Keller directing city legal on how to go about this. So it was really kind of pure politics. So we, here we are on our worst uh, ever year for crime, both homicide, uh, stolen assaults, uh, et cetera, back in 2019. We did not want to take on that that uh, uh, money for Operation Pursuits because our leadership was directing legal. So. Uh, let's move it forward into something that we actually could do and, and that we took on, uh, regardless of whether or not the cities wanted to take it on. That was Operation Legend. Right. And it was kind of, I don't want to say stealth, but um, I, I myself was unaware of that when they first started arriving. I know they had issues with COVID and travel and, and having agents here, but sometime toward the end of April, May, uh, I was made aware that they were here and they, some extra agents from different other federal agencies were helping already some of our investigations that APD was working. And we already had some task force in these units. So, you know, they had some stats that they were already uh, working on from Relentless Pursuit as well as um, the new legend process. And before I left, I was able to see some of those. And I, I know that they, uh, looks like they just released some recently of what some of those joint operations entailed and what, what they um, came up with. All right, let's see how well we've been performing. So no thanks to the mayor and this uh, director of the city uh, of Albuquerque, Sarita Nair. It looks like uh, we've got some results coming from the Department of Justice uh, just today here on Operation Legend. Yes, um, I was able to get a, a document from the U.S. Department of Justice, their public affairs, and they reported that uh, since Legend's been here, 113 defendants have been charged with federal crimes. These include 47 defendants that were charged with narcotics-related offenses, obviously a nexus to violence. 56 defendants have been charged with firearms-related violence, and that speaks for itself. 
and 10 defendants have been charged with other violent crimes. Now, a lot of these also were charged federally, which is a whole different uh, process that basically almost guarantees these people off the street until their trial and then minimum five to ten years for some of these, these offenses. This is exciting stuff. Yes, it is. I mean, we had the FBI over two years ago, just when we came in, start a task force with us just to deal with the armed robbery, which was also a high, uh, very high percentage of in our violent crimes package. And since they came in and started prosecuting some of the cases and assisting us, armed robbery has been down for two years now and significantly because we take the serial offenders that do not one but two or maybe 20 uh, armed robberies before they're caught and put them away for a long time. And that, that was a big impact on on that aspect, especially for business owners. So as the new chief of police, uh, was he there at the uh, roundtable conference representing the city of Albuquerque? Well, not not initially back then, and I heard that possibly he wasn't there today either. Wow. This is something that uh, has uh, improved our, our crime rate here in the city. Uh, one more time, if we could just hear those numbers coming from uh, Operation Legend. This was something instituted by uh, Donald Trump's administration, uh, brought through by Bill Barr, and uh, a huge... Uh, reduction uh, in crime just since July since they've hit the ground running. Right, and again, these are there's nine cities that are mentioned in this report and all show significant results like this. So we had 113 people charged with federal crimes. 47 of those were narcotics offenses, 56 with firearms-related offenses, a, a big issue here, and 10 offenses with other violent crimes. So those are pretty significant numbers for the short time from mostly the beginning of and through the end of the summer. All right, so now I'm worried. Now I'm concerned. We've got a new interim uh, chief of police. They're certainly taking the time to uh, whatever they can do to slander you and slam you in the, in the papers. They're on a, a PR uh, extravaganza to get out their uh, information. And, uh, uh, of course, we're on the heels of a, a mayoral election that year. There's, nobody who, there's no reason to go and look for a new police chief because we don't know if we're going to be changing hands. I hear that the... Sheriff of Bernalillo County uh, Sheriff's Office, uh, Manny Gonzalez, is going to be running uh, for mayor. I hear a couple of other names uh, being sort of uh, thrown around, but uh, primarily it's going to be uh, those two. And, you know, I think we probably should start uh, addressing maybe the leadership for the next year while everyone else is playing politics. We're just interested in having a better uh, city, uh, to, to be quite honest, uh, at, at, at this point. And I know that we started to kind of go through the accomplishments that were happening uh, technologically. We talked about everything from, you know, the Metro 15 to the Shot Spotter to the the various other uh, things that have been uh, put into place. And I got to tell you, it's pretty exciting. But uh, the the leadership isn't focused on that. They're focused on you, Chief Geyer. And uh, since Sunday, they've decided to go ahead and go. So I'd like to give you a chance to rebut them uh, directly and and really kind of you know go through what we've seen uh, in terms of rebutting those you know five brass, uh, two of which have been less there. Uh, been as part of the, uh, the, the the brass up in, uh, I guess, the fifth floor in the city of Albuquerque for less than a couple months? Well, y- yes. I mean, there's five of them there, and I worked with, with all of them. Actually, I was the one who approved you know, their uh, appointments. Um, the Some of the things they talked about occurred before at least two of them, three of them, were even there. So when they talked about the S.H.I.E.L.D. unit and Metro 15, um, a couple of them, like I said, they weren't even part of that. When they talk about things like problem response teams and they're taking credit for that, uh, basically none of the, the deputy chiefs had anything to do with that. That was a program that uh, I started with then Sergeant Johnny Yarra, who's now a commander in the Southeast Area Command, back in 2013. And it was so successful that I brought it back. The, the program they had here was something called Police and Community 
Uh, it was more of a community-based problems resol- problem-solving team, but it wasn't crime-fighting. And so we brought back it for the purpose of crime-fighting. And to talk about it as a crime-fighting initiative like they did, the first thing, it was all outreach. It was very little crime-fighting. It was more outreach. And then some of the commanders started getting on board, especially after we started the gun violence reduction plan. But they, I'll give you some interesting things. I mean, some of the things they said is like uh, the gun violence reduction unit, they took credit for that. Well, that was uh, some of the investigations unit that put that together, uh, specifically to, because we identified shootings as part of the issues. We always identified with the UCR crimes of murder and ag assault and ag battery or, you know, or attempted murder, all those things like that. But we never dealt with shootings and shootings with injuries as part of a classification. So when we did that, the unit was originally designed to be an investigative unit. But the commander at the time, the acting commander, who just happened to be a good friend of the current interim chief, didn't see it that way, and he had them be an apprehension team, which was we already had that with an uh, investigative service unit, so they were just kind of chasing their tails. Uh, I pulled that com- commander out, that acting commander. I put another one in, and immediately it went to an investigative unit that started invest- coming out on call-outs. They actually went out and investigated the scene of every shooting, talked to witnesses, uh, gathered evidence, and we started, make, you know, during the gun violence reduction plan, reduction plan, that group particularly had some great results. The interesting part is um, I was listening to a meeting, uh, Zoom meeting with the Violence Intervention Program, which is the civilian component, which is a good program. And uh, Deputy Chief at that time, Medina, made mention to Sarita about some conversations they had in Oakland with that group that was as a similar group that we were trying to model. And he said, uh, he, asked, he told her, well, don't you remember? They said, don't do it as an enforcement. He didn't think that that was a good program. But now in this letter, they're, they're praising it and behind it 100% is as that, you know, that was their success. And so, you know, those are some of the things. There's others, you know, we can talk about. I mean, the, some of the other things is it, it kind of silly is that none of them ever came up to me individually. Um, and so you never had a conversation about any of these things that they that no. they per, put forth uh, to you. So, okay, so let's just kind of go one by one. You had the problem response team. Right. So that was uh, a program developed back in 13 that you just mentioned. Right. Okay, and you put that out there, and uh, this is all about the gun, and the additional one is you mentioned the gun violence uh, reduction unit. Reduction unit, okay. And uh, apparently the chief, uh, the interim chief now, he never jumped on board with this? He never adhered to this? Well, it, not the, again, at, at the beginning it was done, it was supposed to have that kind of a, approach of investigative, but for some reason... The commander was running it as an apprehension unit because maybe he didn't understand. He was uh, new back there. But, yes, Medina was not in charge of that unit, so he really did, had no direct control. So you said a significant uh, reduction in gun violence uh, for this gun violence reduction plan that uh, you implemented. Do we know how much? Well, no, that was the goal. Uh, the goal was now what they what they did is their stats will show uh, weekly the amount of firearms they you know recovered their the that whole section of, of detectives not just that particular unit they all work together gangs narcotics and whatnot um, with the apprehension teams they also recovered uh, drugs guns you know arrested people on warrants um, but they had high numbers high stats which now interesting is now being published which they never were during that time yeah I don't, I don't know why but they were doing those operations. Well, they were told they were telling you not to interface at all with the media, not to hold your own uh, whatever uh, uh, conferences, and not to release any information without getting any sort of prior approval. Right, and I was trying to get it from the Real Time Crime Center and get it to our, our PIO. Were you able to get that? Uh, I got the information. I saw the reports that were going out weekly with our Duke City Stats program. Yeah. But, but none of that ever went to the media. I don't think you guys ever saw anything no, until just recently. No, we never recently. did. Okay, yeah. and you know that's where. 
you know, we could really benefit is by staying informed and staying on top of this. Uh, very quickly before we uh, move on, let's let's uh, talk about the differentiation in the statistics, uh, why we changed again last year as a reminder to all of our uh, listeners out there who are saying, hey, why did they have to revise the stats, if you don't mind going over that again? No, and it, it's simple. It really that was outside of our control. They've been the uh, federal government, the FBI has been ch- trying to revise this for years, and we actually did it as a pilot, I think, last year, 18, uh, yeah, 2018, and it went in, in effect last year. It's from the UCR's Unified Crime Reports was always the, the major categories, murder, rape, robbery, aggravated assault, burglary, theft, auto theft, and arson um, I, were the main categories. So those were part one crimes. There's anything else, we either went part two, part two or part three. But everybody looked at those main serious crimes, and those were the numbers that we showed as stats typically for results. They came up with this new NIBRS reporting system, which is a little bit more extensive. The breakdown is much different. There's crimes against persons and crimes against, uh, you know, this, this safety. There's different categories if you look it up. Um, I was just getting familiar myself, which breaks it down uh, much differently than the simp- simply uh, what's the percentage and the numbers of crimes, uh, you know, uh, that occurred in those other categories. So now it's a little harder to understand. And it's a little harder to, to, to demonstrate or show in a, a simple format for the media, so it has to be broken down and given some some understanding. So that that occurred because that's how the the re- national reporting system changed, and we're just bought into that. So we had had even under uh, UCR records issues with uh, you know releasing data before all the reports that were in a quarter would be given inflated or you know mis misinformation because right. you need all the data in all right. the rep- written reports. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to the gun uh, violence reduction plan. And uh, uh, all your commanders provided those weekly reports, uh, Chief Geyer? Yes. And they pushed out all of the information, but some of that information wasn't hitting us uh, here in the media. And apparently this gun violence reduction plan in the Real-Time Crime Center were responsible for relaying all the information to Gil Gallegos. Yes. I mean, we had... Did it happen? I, we had... It was out during their... They had biweekly meetings, and there was a booklet that went out that talked about shootings and different cases and hot spots in each area command. This feels like suppression. Well, of I, information, does it not? Well, it just I think it's just a matter of the fact that that program, the Duke City Stats, was more of, uh, at that point, Deputy Chief Medina's baby, and the Duke the Crime Reduction Plan was the overall you know, compelling force that that was supposed to support, and it seems like it flip-flopped and went So the then way. could we suggest that uh, Medina was suppressing that information, or, I mean, it was somewhere where it wasn't getting out to everybody? Well, I, I, there was no reason for it not to get out. I think Right, it but, been, but, it, but it didn't. It I mean, did. otherwise I would have heard it, or yeah. uh, the 4, 7, or 13 would have heard it, or we would have had something. So why would Medina, who's now the chief of interim chief of police, not get that information out? It's hard to say. I mean, it would have been reassuring to the public to at least know we were making effort. I think to me, no, that's that. Even if it gets worse, so we can all be uh, ready to know. So th- this is a transparency issue uh, that goes right to the very top now of our to our chief of police. And it seems like you know, as much as you were bottled up in, in terms of containment, uh, this seems like, and you weren't uh, as compliant as they would have liked you uh, you to have been. Uh, certainly seems like interim chief Medina is quite compliant. Will do anything that he's told to suppress that information. I mean, we didn't even hear about this Department of Justice information today uh, from Operation Legend or get a news release on it because they're not going to tout it. They aren't going to give Operation Legend any benefit. Well, and that seems to be the case. I mean, the frustration I had is we were getting good results in terms of our efforts, and I think that, again, to reassure the public is if we were only showing if the only thing they were seeing was the, the increase in violent crimes, the shootings and the homicides and all that, if that's all they were seeing 
it gave the impression that me as the chief that I was sitting on my hands. And I think that was kind of, you know, reiterated later when they were saying, well, I wasn't doing my job. Or is I there not to... something you could have done? Well, <laughs> I'm no, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, is there not something you could have done or are you, were you just working with them to be compliant with, uh, with Sarita and Tim as what they needed? Well, and I, I brought, I mean, obviously it was brought to Medina's attention. We had those discussions throughout mm -hmm. uh, 2020 from the onset right up to the end. Um, and at different times, it was brought to the attention of uh, the mayor and Sarita. So we were never able to see your progress, track your improvements, and really see the gains that, that you were making because you guys were not allowed to talk about those improvements, basically, without uh, getting uh, the, the full uh, blessing of uh, Sarita and, and Tim Keller. Well, I mean, yeah, I, it'd be hard for me to, you know, without knowing their true intent and without having you sure. know, the feedback from them to, to, you know, accuse them of that. But Well, I appreciate how, you know, even-handed you are, but I'm telling you the way that I see it coming from the outside. There's no reason why the public shouldn't be fully informed about, you know, your progress and our ability to track it. Well, and, and that's the thing is because the, the officers and the commanders um, were trying their best. They were doing these activities. They were, you know, trying to get this information out to show that they were targeting certain areas, and again, and then they were coming up with results, whether it was, uh, you know, diff whatever kind of operation they came, they were recovering guns. We Weekly, we had gun reports. We had people charged with firearm charges. That was part of the, you know, the criteria to measure, and we had that. It came in not just from the investigators that had the time to work specifically for that, but for the field officers that were devoting even just a few hours a week to that made a difference, I think, and when you yeah. add all the units together, I thought that was significant. The and public perception is that the cops don't do anything, they can't do anything, and they're never there when you need them. And this seems to be crime by design from uh, Tim Keller and Sarita Nair. And uh, I'm going to ask you point blank here, uh, no pun intended, but uh, when it comes to uh, now uh, Interim Chief uh, Medina, did he meet more frequently than you did with Tim and Sarita, uh, with Tim Keller and Sarita Nair? Uh, it doesn't have to be accurate. I'm just your guess. Well, let's... Let's put it this way, um, you know, there were meetings where I had individually with them or part of, you know, other ongoing meetings that uh, regular reoccurring meetings, but there were meetings that he had that I wasn't a part of. And wow. Some of them I did that's not. incredible. I wasn't that, aware of. That yeah. right, there should be no meeting that anybody below you that's underneath your command, my expectation that you should not be a part of, Chief Guy. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. Yes, wow. absolutely. I mean, people told me... Uh, you know, sources on the 11th floor said that in some cases Medina was up there three, four times a week without me. Wow. I don't, I don't even know what to say. Uh, we've, we've heard of coups before. We've heard of overthrows. We've heard of uh, setups. But uh, this is certainly uh, bleeding into that type of narrative. With uh, former uh, police chief of the Albuquerque Police Department with some absolutely hair-raising uh, information as we're getting to know what ha has happened the uh, work that has been done, and now the uh, the now uh, try to take credit at all costs uh, achievement, and we have the Operation Legend stuff. We've got some good information on what happened with uh, Operation uh, uh, Pursuit uh, last year in terms of them not taking the money. I mean, these claims that were made in that article, charging you, and no doubt written by Sarita Nair and Tim Keller. Um, they stated that you had no interest in hearing anything that they had to say in terms of improvement, uh, Chief Geyer, in terms of improving the department. They're trying to put this on you when it's very clear that it's Mayor Tim Keller and Sarita Nair who uh, were not interested in, in getting this information out anyway. I mean, these claims, uh, according to the things that you've done, as we point out the list of accomplishments yesterday, uh, you, these are things that you were all working on. 
Right. I mean, and, and you'd love to to hear from them. Yeah. I mean, the gun violence reduction plan started in November, and we had, like I said, some outside instructors from a leadership corporation uh, that helped us with the initial stages. And then later, I mean, I had weekly staff meetings with all the deputy chiefs, and we discussed these things. And I, I actually got very little input from them. Um, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, when this Duke City stats took off, that that kind of turned into a you know a huge huge endeavor much more than it was initially intended, and I think that's why it got watered down at the end, where it wasn't really accomplishing anything other than, you know, feeding uh, maybe his ego in terms of, because he had so many people watching that had nothing to do with the department, no directly involved with our operations. So um, that competing interest seemed to be with an intent on Medina possibly using that to his advantage. So, well, maybe not uh, using it to his advantage, but by design, perhaps he was already in touch with the command staff. Not only did he tell you you didn't have a job, but he was already working on the uh, staff, uh, as it were, to say that, hey, 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 uh, make sure you let everybody know that Chief Geyer isn't interested in any of your ideas. Well, and again, we had, I mean, they were were all on the same floor. We were door, you know, our offices are just doors apart. Uh, Anybody could have came in and had one-on-one. I have an open-door policy. Uh, they never, anybody ever brought any of that to my attention. Most of the other uh, deputy chiefs, other than investigations in the field, weren't directly involved in that except from a support position. And, and Eric Garcia, the deputy chief of compliance, was totally embedded in that CASA, you know, compliance program and really had nothing to do with crime fighting. And then Donnie Oliveira came much later after I left. So, I mean, it was kind of, that just seemed like a strange statement because we had weekly exec where there's uh, agenda and then there's a roundtable I mean, you would think that if they were all together and they were against me, that would have been the time to to bring it to my attention. But they never did, and that's why I think this letter was. Yeah, if there was a problem, they would have brought it to your attention. That's yeah. what uh, that's what alpha males do, uh, generally speaking. They deal with things up front and and available. Uh, they they also made the suggestion before we you know get into uh, all this. Uh, you're a very healthy uh, uh, man. You are uh, physically fit. Uh, a lot of things have been said about how much you enjoy playing hockey, getting out, doing things. I mean, you're a very active uh, uh, person. Uh, you have two young children uh, at home. You have a wife. Uh, she's got uh, some uh, health uh, concerns that you pay attention to, like a great husband uh, that, that you are. And I'd just like to kind of uh, talk about these charges made towards you about how you were involved in officer-involved shootings, how you weren't there at the scene, how you were, you know, you had a... a you know, this is a, a COVID environment uh, nowadays. Things are a little bit different. And, uh, you know, you were given, I think, some, um, you know, sort of latitude to kind of uh, make some health concerns for you and your family, not for you, but for your family personally, uh, while at the very same time, uh, you know, doing your job from home or wherever you were doing it from. Right. I mean, and it was Sarita Nair that approached me with that because she's well aware of my wife's condition and said that if I needed to telecommute and work at home, uh, to do so, to avoid contact. And, and again, prior to COVID, I mean, I did show up at things. It was a little bit better environment to do so. Um, it, it's, once that started and started peaking, I mean, obviously she's high risk. So I would do the Zoom meetings and I would bring work home and stay late at home or stay late at the office after hours when people were gone. But to go to a scene, especially with the officers, our officers are exposed to a lot of things and you get to, uh, you know, like an officer involved shooting, there's a lot of people there. We have a lot of you know, we delegate that. That's the purpose is that the deputy chiefs are to be there as my replacement because I can't be everywhere. And that's and at some point during that, they're healthy. They don't have any issues, you know, with, uh, you know, family members that could be exposed. So, you know, they go and they report to me. That's part of the process. And with the, the when it came to protest, um, you know, those uh, that 
Real-Time Crime Center became a hub for many, many people, even outside the uh, you know agency from other agencies. And we already had one in, uh, you know, where an FBI agent kind of exposed the 30 or so of our detectives on operations, you know, it at, at arose out of their, their headquarters, um, our headquarters, but their, their agents were in our headquarters and one particularly. So, I mean, I, I couldn't take those chances, but I was always a part of those. I depended on the incident commander at, at protest to keep me posted. Uh, whether I was in my office or at home with the radio and the phones there on a counter, um, I would listen and monitor, you know, just as much. And, and again, sometimes I get really good feedback and input and updates from the, the incident commander, and a couple of times I didn't. But still, I was actively involved after hours as much as I was during hours. And I put in, I had no sick time this year until, wow. uh, or vacation time, um, and throughout the whole year until the day I left. Uh, so as far as, you know, I saw other people take vacations and long weekends and other things, uh, and I basically was on call 24-7, as most of them were as well it's on different occasions. But it, it, it seems kind of a travesty that, that they would even say that um, because, again, is uh, the risk to a family member at that yeah. case is if I was not absentee, for truly absentee, I would have been doing no work, and then they would have been taking on a lot more than than they did. But I kept you know, kept up my workload as well as, um, you know, be involved with, all, I mean, we had COVID, crime, protest, uh, you know, all kinds, CASA and all these things that still my, were my responsibility as chief that uh, I'm, I'm assuming it, it's becoming a, you know, the new deputy or the new interim chief is going to be, you know, overwhelmed with this as he realizes just the volume of work that crosses that desk. Well, this avarice for power that Chief Medina, now interim chief uh, Medina had, uh, as you have uh, clearly illustrated in you know, now we see the letter and all that isn't going to be accommodating to you and your family's health needs. Uh, they were all about dominating. Uh, chief Medina has also applied for a number of other chief of police jobs and would oftentimes be uh, bragging about it. Uh, I'd like for you to tell me a little bit more of that because uh, that raises lots of red flags. Well, I, I know he had interest in, in running for sheriff. Um, I think that interest, you know, to replace Manny Gonzalez. Well, when Manny left, but at the end of, well, actually going into the next election year, I would guess is the term. So he had planned to do that. If and I think what he saw is there was a lot of competition, and he really wasn't uh, uh, embedded in politics as much as he was trying to network to do so. But he did test in Aurora, Colorado, uh, recently. Um, he came back at one point and told us that he was in the top three. But he was one of the finalists, um, and it turned out. They went internally and brought, you know, somebody from the inside of the department to the that job. And he, the reports showed that he wasn't even in the top ten. So, I mean, I think his ego sometimes uh, got the best of him. Um, you know, you go to another city outside of your department, you're kind of at a disadvantage unless they really need that outside view or they need a fresh perspective. Um, but, you know, it's it's he had aspirations to be a chief at all costs. I guess that's the best way to put it. Wow, that's uh, pretty uh, incredible, and that's uh, who's leading the charge here for the Albuquerque uh, Police Department. So I'd like to kind of talk about internal stuff, if you don't mind, and as much as you possibly can. I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, the Department of Justice uh, t uh, tomorrow, maybe, if you are available, and talk about the monitors and the type. But you've been doing your own monitoring internally, um, and there's an unbelievable record of uh, internal investigations uh, and I'm wondering if maybe that precipitated uh, some of this uh, pushback against uh, against you, I should say, to, uh, uh, hey, we don't like him doing internal affairs checks, uh, checkups on us, or we don't like this. And you were trying to get everything compliant, 
uh, from what I understand, but there's a, a record number of internal affairs investigations, and that's part of your um, duty as a police chief is to make sure you're running a, a pretty clean house. Right. I mean, I think they made an allegation that they didn't like the way I was handling discipline, but there's two sides of that. Obviously, like you just said, is with compliance, the restrictions and the requirements for reporting went from where years ago a sergeant could could reprimand somebody on the scene or write him a written reprimand, a letter, and put it in his file, and it didn't have to go through an IA internal affairs screener and a process of where they review it and they decide whether it's going to be an internal affairs case or back to the area command for, for final disposition. Um, that was going on as part of compliance. So, I mean, you saw the increase from 200, less than 300 cases to 900. That's significant. And that's, that affects the officers because that means every time they're turning around, it's not that, you know, warning type of thing. It goes right to being documented. And that could have an effect on their ability to transfer to a unit or even promotions at some point. Um, the thing with the, some of the cases that came to me, it's being totally misrepresented is the process it's not a committee that decides and then I go against the committee. It, it goes through the chain of command from the commander to the deputy chief to me. Um, just recently, we started more of a group presentation so we all could see it and have open discussion. But tip, and it's our policy and it's part of the contract. The chief has the last say in that. And it's the best practice. The mayor actually gave me a booklet from the mayor's conference that it w- for reform where it actually identified that too. So he wanted you to be uh, compliant and do what the Department of Justice you uh, wanted, and you were actually doing that and then some. Well, and then what I was doing is is at the point, with the point when those guys had the first say at it, it was just on the first impression of the video and the presentation from the IA detective. But then it still has to go to a predetermination or predisciplinary hearing with the, the union reps or lawyers that they bring to the table, and they have a chance to tell their side of the story or bring any other evidence mitigating. And, and then I have 10 days the way the process was, to review it. And rather than sit on my hands and just sign off, is I would review the videos. These case files could be two, three inches thick sometimes, and I would look at transcripts. I would go talk to people in their area command, is what kind of officer is this? I'd look at their work records. I looked at everything I could so that I can make a fair and impartial decision, and in the best interest of not only the department, but of that officer, because I don't want them to be collateral damages, and, and if one officer is mistreated, I guarantee you 10 officers are going to hear about it. And it's going to spread and spread. And so um, to be like they're doing now is where it's where actually he's trying to open a case that is already closed against an officer that has already been uh, maligned and, and kind of you know made to be a target. Uh, I think that's totally unfair to the department. And I you know every case that I mitigated for an officer in every instance that that officer has not come back and caused any more issues. And most of the time I see good things and I you know reach out to them and thank them for that. And I think that's because. They didn't want to get me mad, I don't think. I think they wanted to show, you know, that they were going to do the right thing and make me proud. And, and that's where I really am proud of the officers because that's what they did. And I don't want to sacrifice officers just because somebody that's in an office 2,000 miles away that happens to be a federal monitor is going to look at these people like numbers on a page where I know them as people and maybe have even worked with them for years. Well, I'd like to spend some time tomorrow talking about the Department of Justice. I also would like to... To talk a little bit more about uh, Chief uh, Harold Medina, I have yet to read that article that had uh, been sent to me a little bit earlier, uh, a couple of Saturdays ago, looking at the the new uh, uh, chief of police. But uh, since we're handing off the reins and we will likely not get a new chief of of police, uh, I'd like to understand a little bit more about that. Is that out of turn for you to be speaking since you hired him about the new chief of police and uh, give an idea about where we stand? They're certainly taking a, a... a pretty healthy uh, dose and, and look at uh, what you've done over three years and 
I think, really misleading the public. So I'd like for you to, to kind of step in and see where we might be going and uh, help us understand who we have uh, as the new interim uh, chief of police. Right, and I can do that. I don't know if you're saying, you know, talk about this at a later time. I mean, it's... Yeah, tomorrow, yeah, if, uh, if that'd be okay with you. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it goes back. I mean, he, he was a good friend of mine. I actually was his mentor, and I actually tried to get, I got him in some leadership, a very elite leadership program since I got here. Um, and I'll, I'll just say this one story. As part of the, when he completed that class, they, they do what's called a 360 evaluation, where um, a sheet goes out, you know, like a questionnaire to people that are his peers, uh, his subordinates, other people that he works with, like civilian staff, and myself as the manager. And uh, I don't know if it's because of intimidation or just if people are afraid to you know, say anything negative. He got really high marks from the people that some didn't even know him that well. But the lowest score he's got was from me, and I've known him for 25 years, and I was trying to give him an honest assessment so that he can improve. We all have weaknesses. If you don't sure. look in the mirror and recognize that yeah. you're a fool... Um, and if you're beyond he, reproach or criticism, then you really got issues. Right, and he was upset that, I mean, I gave him the lowest, not low scores, but just lower than everybody else that were, you know, very inflated. And, you know, not everybody's Superman. And so sometimes you got to see that, you know, you got that kryptonite here or there, and you work on those areas. But that's what that's one of the things that we're, I don't think he was willing to listen anymore. Chief Kyer, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us all week Thank long. You. This has been an absolute pleasure, and uh, we'll go into our fourth hour. We'll do that tomorrow on a Thursday. Stay tuned. Bill O'Reilly is next.